Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And uh, this week we're going to be talking about uh, the University of Texas San Antonio Cyber Center for Security and Analytics and uh, National Security and uh, maybe the National Security Collaboration Center. If uh, you're going to be able to stick with us here on the radio, I'll be joined by uh, Dr. Nicole Beebe here for the, the next hour. If you're not going to be able to stick with us right now and or interested and intrigued by this topic, uh, you can check out our website at www.cybertalkradio.com or uh, any podcasting service out there across the internet uh, where uh, this program will go up uh, on Tuesday, July the 9th, uh, along with uh, all of our past programs. Uh, We've also been uh, joined by uh, Dr. Greg White from uh, UTSA, uh, where he talked about some of his uh, research grants and projects and areas uh, he was working on in cybersecurity. So if you wanted to to learn about that uh, in more detail, you can check out our our archives. And uh, that episode with Dr. White is uh, up and available right now. So, uh, Nicole, thank you very much for joining us this week. No problem. Thanks for having me, Brett. So one of the things that I was, especially folks that have kind of reached your career level and, and, and the, the success that you've had, how did you uh, find your way uh, into cybersecurity? Because I think this is one where some kids like or that listen to the program, maybe they're a freshman in high school and they're like, oh, I haven't already started doing cybersecurity. Like this is never going to be my thing. Or um, yeah. So how did you, you come across cybersecurity and get involved? Well, I have a story that I think will resonate maybe with a lot of your listeners which is I didn't find it, it found me, and I didn't want to do it, and then I found out I loved it. So it's kind of an interesting little story. The bottom line, when I was growing up, I, like everybody, wanted to do a bunch of different stuff, but eventually I, I came to the realization that I wanted to be a cop, just a regular old cop. But Dad said I had to go to college. Dad also said you better figure out how you're going to pay for it because we can't afford it. And so I was pretty decent in math and science, not a whiz kid or anything, but pretty decent. And so I got a scholarship from the Air Force in ROTC, and they said I had to study electrical engineering. And I mean, no offense to my electrical engineering brethren out there, but it wasn't quite for me. But again, see previous point, I couldn't afford college. So the scholarship was great. Yeah, and I'm going to study electrical engineering right now. That sounds like a great plan. So I got in the military. They actually did have me do electrical engineering stuff. I was doing failure analysis of F-15 avionics at the time. And sounds really cool, but for me, it wasn't very fun. If you never see a multimeter again, it'll be too soon. Exactly. And a white lab coat and an anti-static strap. Um, So, but I managed to get myself... um, retrained into the at that time the the well still is the air force office of special investigations and i thought finally i'm going to do what i want to do and i'm going to investigate normal crimes but this was the mid 90s not to date myself but when computer crime investigations was just beginning and they said oh man we need more computer crime people and you know computers or at least electrical circuits on computers so therefore you need to be a computer computer crime investigator and i thought oh no i don't want to do that i just want to do the regular stuff and but like everything in my life, you just you just do what you're told to do and you do it well and you see how it comes out. And, and that has always served me well. And all of a sudden, the military trained me in all of this stuff. They trained me in computer crime and chasing hackers and investigating cyber events. And I found out, surprise, I loved it. And so that's really how I got into it. So I fell into it and then found out I loved it. Yeah, and uh, you you got to investigate things on uh, one of the largest networks in the world. That Air Force network is pretty big. They won't disclose exactly how big, but right. um, being a, a non-classified uh, guy out here, uh, 
it's good size for it's, sure. It's huge. Yeah. And uh, if you were interested in a, a program uh, probably as similar to what uh, Dr. Beebe um, had to get a, a scholarship there, we had on uh, at the time she was Tech Sergeant Diami Baker, uh, so cyber recruiter for the U.S. Air Force. She talked uh, all about different scholarship programs they have uh, for students coming out of high school uh, looking to uh, pursue cybersecurity and uh, join the Air Force. Uh, those programs are, yeah, uh, amazing. Um, I mean, one of the ones she talked about, uh, you can get the Air Force to pay you to go to school, uh, tech school for two years, um, and then you are straight into the reserve. So you're active duty for two years while you're in school, and then you go straight into the reserves after that um, for a four-year period. School is free. You get not only a scholarship, but you get paid food, housing, everything, um, right. and you get health care benefits. You get a GI Bill after you get your two years of school done where you could go finish a four-year degree and you could have all the benefits of being in the reserves. I mean, it's an amazing program. So it is. For those listening out there, yeah, I mean, if affordability is not the, the reason um, to, to skip college, if you're out there and, and looking around and interested in things, there's all sorts of creative uh, options available to you. Uh, to get uh, yourself an education. And Brett, I know this is supposed to be a cyber focus, but if you'll indulge me for a quick plug, um, I could not be a bigger supporter of the military and of specifically ROTC and the reserves. And I would say it for the following reasons. One is not just that it helped me afford college. In fact, the Air Force paid for two degrees for me, paid for my, my bachelor's degree and my master's degree, and I technically could have gotten out after four years with two degrees in hand. There is no better deal from an affordability perspective than that. But there's also two other things people should think about. One, a lot of employers get really frustrated with all of us that we may have skills, technical skills, but we don't have soft skills. We don't have leadership skills, we don't have management skills, we don't have just all the soft skills that we need there really is no better place than the military to help people, um, young people, any, anyone learn those soft skills. So that's a really important thing. I, I, I would recommend the military to anybody. The second thing is the reserves and the guard. The reserves and the guard give people an opportunity to do really two different jobs. And the things, as you mentioned earlier about the, you know, the Air Force network or the Army network or the Navy network, the things that you will be exposed to in cybersecurity in the military will make you better at your job your, your normal, your, your day job. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's just a really great opportunity. So thank you for the allowing yeah. me the shameless plug. I'm no. a big fan. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, is one where as well um, on this, the, the military is actively recruiting there just like every private sector employer. So the, the more of these things that you can learn, uh, there's a abundance of opportunity out there for you because um, as much as we go, you know what, we've had these computer networks, the internet really has been a, a kind of a big thing for 20 years. We've solved all the security problems. No. Um, and this is if you stick with uh, Nicole and I for the rest of the program, you find out we're still um, really at the infancy of uh, thinking through all this. If you think about software engineering as a discipline and network engineering as a discipline and compare that to the other engineering disciplines around civil engineering, if you go back to the first 20 years we were building bridges, they were not very sturdy and stable. Um, civil engineering now, they've got a lot of science, a lot of, of policy, controls, process, and, and, and things around it where we've been investigating bridge failures for years and uh, now we know how to build pretty sturdy bridges most of the time. So, yeah, this is this is not solved science at this point. Correct. Yeah. So um, at, at UTSA, um, I almost feel that maybe UTSA's story is a little bit similar to uh, your own story, where it, it 
it's kind of uh, accidentally found its way into this amazing cyber program uh, because of some of the folks that ended up on the faculty there um, and then kind of a, a grassroots development. But you, you've been uh, with UTSA for a while now, so you, you've got a good part of this story you probably can share with us. Sure. It's, it's, it, you're right. We, we evolved into it. It was very organically driven. Right now, so many cybersecurity programs are popping up that are popping up with saying, we want to create this program. How do we start? And, and they and they they start big and try to fill in the gaps. We started small and just grew and grew and grew and grew and grew. And we grew because of the demand. The Air Force in San Antonio has such a huge requirement and the defense contractors have such a huge requirement for cybersecurity that it really technically the first cybersecurity class started in 1999, um, the history books say, at UTSA. But it really started in earnest in 2001, and I've been around in various capacities since 2003. So it's 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 been it's been quite some time. But you're right; it just grew. We now have over, I think the last time I checked, we have over 60 different courses in cybersecurity across four different colleges. But at that time, it was just one or two or three classes. But what helped the program grow so strong, I think, is the San Antonio ecosystems in cybersecurity. And so we've had so many good instructors, not just professors, and, and frankly, more importantly, not professors, but really the, the people who do cybersecurity in, a, in their daily job, and then they come out to UTSA at night and teach students what they do during the day. That is really what made our program grow so strong so fast. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing just at the... Um changing landscape of university education is bringing in specialists as adjuncts to be able to bring uh, that that industry outside perspective uh, which uh, for many of the undergrad classes is super super important as you get up into the higher level research areas where you have faculty that are full-time faculty that are researching in an area then they are the perfect person to teach those classes they are the perfect person to partner with uh, and be a, a, a ta or a, a research associate for uh, but at, at the undergrad level having those adjuncts in for the the industry perspective to build that foundation for the students is is a is something that like I don't feel like I would have seen back when I went to university that universities would have been against bringing in adjuncts right. for those kind of courses you are so correct and they bring in the context you can teach a student content but if you teach a student content without context and help them understand the real world use cases for it it's it's boring and they don't understand it and so those folks who come in and teach and can talk about what they did that day is really exciting yeah so in, in your specific area, so you mentioned that the UTSA has cybersecurity courses across a number of the colleges at the university. Um, and, and so your specific area around uh, digital forensics and, and analytics, which college are you associated with in the kind of the courses that you're, you're right. teaching? I'm in the College of Business, um, and that is where our undergrad uh, cybersecurity degree lives is in the College of Business, which is a little different, um, but it works really well because our students learn both the technical security and the business side of, of how security applies. And digital forensics, because that's kind of my bailiwick and my baby, um, grew into the into and out of the College of Business. Now, analytics, on the other hand, is taught in several different colleges, frankly. The Masters of Science in Data Analytics is, again, housed in the College of Business, but there's also concentrations in analytics um, in computer science and other programs. 
Yeah, and this is, is one for first-time listeners on the uh, education side of things. You go, well, why is cybersecurity in the College of Business? Well, I think this evolved kind of out of two pieces, and you can correct me where I'm wrong. So uh, there's probably a management information systems degree in the College of Business. If we go back to the time when, when me with my gray hair didn't have gray hair and I was studying it in college. Correct. Uh, and then the second piece of this is um, for listeners, cybersecurity is not just Mr. Robot um, in front of a, a screen doing hacking on a terminal all the time. Cybersecurity um, is as much about process and policy as it is about the, the technical bits because technical bits without process and policy are, are useless. Correct. So, yeah, so one example, we've had uh, Jacqueline Cal Allen on, who's the uh, Bear County Elections Administrator, and there's been all this talk about voting machines and voting machine security, and they're running Windows XP, and, and they can't be safe. Well, they are safe, um, and if you want to understand more about that, check out our archives on your favorite podcasting service or on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com, uh, where you can hear me question uh, Jackie for a whole hour all about the process and controls around the voting machines. and. Um, even if they had horrible vulnerabilities on them, it wouldn't matter because of the chain of custody and control and all the process they have in place that uh, I 100% trust our Bear County elections and the, the results we get here uh, because of the controls and things that they put in place around those voting machines. Right. I mean, cybersecurity is a full spectrum operation, and, and that's an important thing to understand when, frankly, is. is if students are listening or potential students are listening, you really need to understand the program that you're going into and what you what aspect of cybersecurity you want to study and whether that program covers that. Honestly, UTSA covers the whole gamut. We have everything from the very, very technical malware, reverse engineering, and digital forensics to legal, to policy, to risk, to software, um, secure software design, secure network design, everything in between. Yeah. Um, but not all programs are that big. And so one school may specialize more in some more technical areas and another program may specialize in some more, you know, less technical areas, but UTSA really has all the above. So you can, if every student who comes into our program takes five required cybersecurity classes and then they, they, they kind of specialize how they want to specialize. They may go more technical or less technical, however they want to customize their degree, I guess you'd say. Yeah. And when you say, yeah, I mean, when you say more technical, you're talking like in the, you're going to spend time in front of a terminal window. Because I mean, I think of the process and policy and controls, like you're, instead of writing source code in a, in your, your development tool, you're writing effectively source code that people have to read. You're writing policy documents right. and process and procedures. And you can have bugs in a policy the same way where you, you end up with unintended consequences. So, true. yeah. Uh, uh, so out of all these areas, so you specialize on the on the digital forensics side. And so you, you kind of found your way into this via your career in the Air Force. Right. Um, and so how did that lead you from there to to teaching this in an academic environment? That's another funny story. I don't know how detailed I should get into it. Um, I actually, so so one of the things that I think is important to understand, a myth that I'd like to, to debunk is that digital forensics is, is all about child exploitation cases. It's it's not. To be perfectly frank with you, part of the reason I got out of digital forensics and got out of the military, this is only part of the reason, was because at that time, that was what the majority of my cases were. And that's just not fun, right? Yeah, Let's just be it's real. Exhausting. That's just, it's exhausting. It's, it, it's just not fun. And so I honestly, at that moment, got out of the military thinking I didn't like digital forensics. 
And as it turns out, first and foremost, I'd like to say to everybody listening is is if you can get into digital forensics and never touch one of those types of cases, if that's your desire. There yeah, are if so you many... work in law enforcement, you're going to have some of that. Correct. Uh, if you work in the private sector, you may never see never. any of that. Correct. But even in law enforcement, we've gotten smarter in the last couple of decades. We've understood that most agencies understand that that kind of case type is, is very mentally taxing. And so they don't, unless you choose to, have you work on that case type for a long period of time. Yeah. And so we've gotten better at that. So I want to make sure everybody understands that. But yeah, at that for, time. Yeah. For those listening, we'll, we'll tie this back to TV real quick. So like you can like law and order and then law and order SVU. And right. like you, you have to choose to be in the SVU right. these days. Yes. Right. And then even if you do choose to be in the SVU, the equivalent of that in digital forensics, they'll have more regular and formal rotation periods to make sure you get the mental health, um, Assistance. I don't mean that in a negative, I, no, you know, right? Yeah. It's just it's hard material. Anyway, yeah. so when I got out, I, I became a, a network security engineer for a private uh, company, and I thought I would never touch digital forensics again. Well, they found out that I knew digital forensics, so once again, I got pulled back into something or pulled yeah. into something I didn't want to be in. And, and I found out, though, this, what we just said, which is on the commercial side, you don't deal with that kind of material. And all of a sudden, I fell back in love with the science of it. So digital forensics is this really cool field where you're merging investigations, the art of investigations, the art of who done it, who, what, where, when, why, how, with the science, and then using science to answer those questions. And so if you're, if you're a little bit like me where you love the science, but that's not your whole life, and you like the investigation and like to put the investigator hat on, it's the perfect union between the two. And so that's when I found out that I, I, I remembered that I loved the science of digital forensics. And yeah. I went back to school and became a professor and said that's what I want to teach in research. Yeah. So if you yeah, love solving puzzles, figuring, yes. figuring out, you, you see the end cause of all sorts of things. Uh, and whether it's a, a flaw in software or somebody gets access into a building to, mm -hmm. to take things that they, they shouldn't or be able to get access into a building to plug something into a computer, digital forensics is, is tracking that whole trail of breadcrumbs down and figuring out which controls got violated, which things uh, didn't turn out as planned because Correct. no one plans to have their system exploited when they design it. Right. Um, so digital forensics is about figuring out where do those plans go wrong. Right. And then what's really fun, I... I really enjoy, I, I give a lot of talks, and one of the talks I give is the digital front footprints you leave behind. And a lot of people will ask me, and in that, that talk I talk about forensic traces. And then people will always inevitably at the end say, why are you telling us this? If you tell us what the forensic traces are, I'm going to know what to get rid of. And I said, that's fine. Good because luck. there's eight more. Yeah. Right? You get rid of this and you get rid of that, and I can find it this, this, and this. There, are, it's, it's. It's just like you going about your normal daily life. You cannot go about your normal daily life without leaving fingerprints, leaving DNA, leaving hair samples, leaving things everywhere. That's the same way on a computer. And so even if you get rid of one or two traces, I can find what you did some other way. And to me, I mean, I'm just smiling right now. That's, yeah. I don't care who you are, that's fun. No, and, and yeah, this is one I've, I've done a, a couple of monologue episodes over the course of the, the years and um, not from a shortage of guests, but like one of the ones that is all of this privacy stuff that came up in front of Congress last year about Facebook and Google and the rest of these. And um, I, I, I did a, a monologue talking there. Yes, like are they collecting all sorts of things, but uh, so is your internet provider and so is even all the way down to if we go a little bit out of digital forensics, I, I told the, the listeners 
when you drive by a billboard and it says, hey, if you like to advertise here, call this number. I said, call that number up and ask them for the demographics of the people that drive by that billboard. And they know like what percentage drive white cars, what percentage have kids right. in high school. So we're leaving fingerprints and, and information about us all over everywhere. Right. And this information has been collected and gathered by not just advertisers, but all sorts of people for both good and bad reasons right. for as, as long as uh, we've had, I've probably written uh, history. Right. So. And, and public service announcement, though, I will say, just to remind everybody that I do firmly believe in and have confidence in our legal system that provides the checks and balances. So even though that data does exist from a law enforcement perspective, law enforcement can't get that data for an investigation without probable cause and without a search warrant or a court order and whatever it happens to be. So Yeah. Yeah, I can I can go uh, as a, a host here that doesn't t- have a background or history in any of this um, specifically career wise is yeah when you, you if you're out there and you read these news articles about the the NSA or the the FBI and these secret uh, warrants and all this stuff this is not something that's being used on a regular basis uh, this is not something that's happening all the time that this is um, stuff uh, is that ends up urban legend more mm-hmm. so than real reality you see these warrant canaries and these things that different companies have put up and like this stuff is not necessary like our authorities here are not out abusing um, any of these powers and uh, they're out right. trying to solve real crimes and trying to do it the easiest way possible right and they, they all have busy caseloads right and i might point out that exactly they have busy caseloads they have bigger problems to solve than what color car you have when you're driving by that billboard they don't care yeah right so uh, with this, and uh, so your uh, digital forensics, and uh, we'll we'll go into some more detail of this. We're um, heading into our bottom of the hour break here in a few minutes, so we'll we'll tease a little bit of the, the content. If folks will stick with us, um, we'll we'll talk about the National uh, Security Collaboration Center uh, in some more detail. What's going on there? How the um, academia and industry and public and private sector and everything are all uh, working and collaborating together because i think it's a a fascinating story um uh, so share for those that won't stick with us through the break they're just kind of a a minute or two about that national security collaboration center right it is it is exactly what it sounds like it is focused on national security it has a is a pretty high heavy cyber emphasis but it's not just about cybersecurity. anything that affects national security would be fair game in the nscc and then the second part of it a collaboration center means that we have government, university, industry partners in the NSCC that are designed, everything we're doing is designed to to collaborate, to help understand mutual problems, to be more collaborative in the solutions to those problems, to bring students to industry and industry to academia and government problems to just everybody working together. It's, I don't mean to oversimplify it, but it's a bit of the water cooler effect, right? If you can bring everybody together and facilitate collaboration between government, university, and industry in things that matter to cybersecurity, you will truly push the needle in, in pretend, protecting our nation. Earlier on in the segment, you mentioned the the Masters of Science in Data Analytics, and we were just talking uh, about kind of yeah, all that history and, and other things of, of information being tracked. So. Uh, brought this back to top of mind for me. Uh, share a little bit for our, our listeners about how did that that program come about? Because I, I feel like me that the UTSA is early in offering a master's in data analytics. And um, as an employer, data analytics is becoming more important now than ever because the cost of storing data is finally at a point where you can 
keep and collect lots of things and start to harvest and the cost of processing it is now at the point as well where you can harvest a lot more of information but uh, out of it um, that in an economically viable way from a private sector but it um, are, is UTSA really early in offering a, a master's program in data analytics? I think so. We off, we began about three years ago, and when we did so, and of course we have to do a market assessment of, of the need. Yeah. Um, there were not a lot of programs, and they're 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 popping up everywhere now, just like cybersecurity. I would say we are right now in analytics and AI where we were in cybersecurity a, a decade ago. It is such an important thing in any domain, and that was one of the things that we did when we created the Masters of Data Analytics is we, we made it domain agnostic. Even though it lives in the College of Business, which is an interesting place for it to live, at UTSA in the College of Business, we have the statistics area in business, which yeah. is different and weird. We have economics in business, which is different and weird. We have cybersecurity business, which is different and weird. UTSA College of Business is just, and I say it in a good way, different and weird. It's almost its own university. It, it, <laughs> um, but it, what it facilitates is, is really amazing things. And so it really facilitated this analytics degree. And the analytics degree is designed to be domain agnostic. And so you can come into it and be focused in business and business intelligence or astrophysicists or mechanical engineering or manufacturing or computer analytic, whatever it happens to be, and analytics of everything, anything and everything. So yeah. basically we train students to collect data, clean data, fuse data, analyze data, communicate the findings and so on and so forth. And so yes, analytics is, is, is so important to everything. In fact, UTSA, when you're talking about being early, one of the neat programs that's starting in the nation right now is MITRE has launched their Gen AI, Generation AI, and makes the argument that we need to push AI and analytics down into the into every domain and down in the K through 12, just like we did with typing generations ago and then computer programming this last generation. Now we need to be there with analytics and AI. And UTSA is one of the founding schools of the Gen AI program. So yes, UTSA yeah. is early and we like we like it that way. And on that, we're going to take a quick break for a news, traffic, and weather update here on CyberTalk Radio. And I will be back with Nicole. I will be back with Dr. Nicole Beebe to talk more about the National Security Collaboration Center and other things going on in her areas of research uh, here after this break. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year Internet security veteran. And I'm joined this week by Dr. Nicole Beebe at the University of Texas, San Antonio. In the first half of the program, uh, we talked uh, some about her background, a little bit uh, about some of the different degree programs and uh, all sorts of other interesting conversation. If you uh, just uh, hopped in your car right now and uh, are picked us up here after that news, traffic, and weather update, uh, you can listen to uh, that first half of the program up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, July the 9th. Uh, you can also listen to uh, all of our, our past episodes there or on your favorite podcasting app uh, anywhere across the Internet. If you have a podcasting service where you uh, prefer to listen to programming and you do not see CyberTalk Radio there, let us know. Uh, our team will fix that, and we will also get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt. And for uh, the enterprising students out there, we've we've done this. I've, I think I've yet to give a t-shirt out for it. So if you start your own podcasting service and say you can't find CyberTalk Radio on it, we will give you a t-shirt for setting a, a podcasting service up. Uh, you'll op need to operate it at least long enough uh, for us to verify via Facebook or Twitter and uh, you uh, that it's available out there. And uh, so you have at least uh, yourself and maybe one friend as a subscriber on that podcast service. So uh, 
if you stuck with us uh, through that break, we said we were going to talk some more about the, the National Security Collaboration Center kind of in depth and in detail. And uh, Nicole gave a little bit of an intro uh, on that, uh, on kind of where it came about. But I want to uh, go into some more detail there. So it's this uh, idea, I think, has been talked about for a while and, and maybe can out of some of, um, it feels like uh, Dr. White's research around information sharing organizations and, and kind of maybe spawned this, this idea of the Collaboration Center being at UTSA? To some extent, yes. Um, it actually began with a partnership we had with the U.S. Secret Service. The Secret Service came to us and have had an interesting and very successful model with other universities where they did operational support and research and training for their mission and wanted to do the same thing at UTSA. So we kind of started that dialogue with them and all of a sudden it just grew because it's such a helpful mechanism when you have industry, university, and government um, all working together um, to solve common problems. Yeah, and so this is up and running on the UTSA main campus. And for listeners outside the Bear County area, um, like many universities, so they've uh, UTSA is now 50 years old. It's kind of grown on one main campus location. It's had a, a second location uh, in downtown San Antonio, about 15 or 20 miles from the main campus. Correct. Yeah, and and that downtown location's been there for a while. But with what's going on in the San Antonio metro, like many um, across the U.S., downtown is growing, and the UTSA has made a commitment to grow this downtown campus as well. Right, it's very important. And this is really, I think, one thing to think about and remember is that this thing that's a cap, this happening, this this momentum that's happening is is really it's not just UTSA. It's again that partnership, and it's part of the city, and it's part of the county, and it's part of the state. Downtown is growing so fast and becoming such a tech hub and a tech central corridor that when UTSA wants to grow and wants to grow in this space, it's the most logical space to grow in. Yeah, because as we talked about in the first half of the program, being able to get students exposed to what's going on in industry. So if they're going to have an internship or they're um, going to work part time, there's uh, many more employers right. um, scattered all across the downtown area right. um, versus out at the the main campus area right. where there's maybe a few large employers out there, right. but not not the, the number and diversity. And not to mention the proximity to Port San Antonio, the yeah. proximity of downtown to Port San Antonio um, and, and, and the, the 24th Air Force and 25th Air Force, which are soon to be combined to the 26th Air Force, but that's yeah. a whole other I joked, I wanted them to call the 49th. I, I thought it should be 24.5 is yeah. what my op opinion was, but nobody listened to that. But no. but yeah, I mean, the downtown is just a more central location um, for all of the people, the students and academia and government we're working with. But it's also um, important that, that we plug in with the city and with the state and with the county. Um, it's really important. Yeah. So this, this National Security Collaboration Center, so uh, running today, how many industry partners are, are involved right now and where is this, this headed from there? Every time I give a number, I find out that, that it's grown. So I'm sure the number I'm about to give you is wrong. But right, the last I checked, we had 18 industry partners and 20 government partners. Yeah, and for, for those listening via podcast, uh, this was uh, July of 2019 is when we, we talked about this. So um, when you listen to this in 2023 via podcasting service, that number is certainly wrong it, at this point in time. Be, right. And then of those approximately 40, we'll just say approximately 40 partners, I think right now we have about 17 or 18 actually co-locating. So every one of those 40 or so partners have a memorandum of understanding. There is specific agreed upon relationships, but nearly half of them are actually physically co-locating at UTSA. Yeah. And so for industry folks, what's the, the, the benefit to them for coming and participating in this, this research? It's really an accelerator. And so it's, an, it's about access. 
and it's about acceleration because of that access to students, because of that access to researchers, because of that access to government partners. A lot of the industry partners are creating solutions for the government. And so if they can have a place where they can engage in dialogues about what the needs are, they can provide solutions that make them money in a more efficient fashion. And another thing that's interesting is, is this is hard to articulate, but it's real. San Antonio is different. This kind of a collaboration center has been attempted in other locations and hasn't, in, in my humble opinion, worked as well as it's already working here. And the reason is just because of our culture. You take the same companies that are in the DC Beltway and you put them here in San Antonio and they collaborate. They are less hyper-competitive. They are more collaborative. They engage in conversations. They come out of their offices and share information. They work with students. They work with one another in a different way in San Antonio. It's just the way we are, right? We've got our cowboy boots and our cowboy hats and not, not everybody wears them, but yes. it's just a different place. It's a more collaborative city, yeah. period. No, and, and I think this is... Uh very true, and I see this whether it's in the National Security Collaboration Center or across uh, many other areas. I sit on a, a number of advi different advisory boards where um, there's clear competitors on the advisory boards, and they're open and sharing and right. working together in ways that I had not seen mm -hmm. um, in other cities before uh, moving here. Right. And it might be the old Texas, you know, get her done. We just have a mentality of getting it done. I like it. So the National Security Collaboration Center is going to move downtown uh, in the next few years. Correct. Along with some, you're going to have some, I guess, additional student housing because the university is growing pretty quickly. Right. Um, yeah, I, I read in the news, Dr. Amy's got some lofty growth goals, and it, it sounds like you just graduated the largest uh, number of graduates ever here right. um, just this past month or I guess May, uh, the graduates at, at UTSA here in 2019, the biggest class ever, um, and, and continued growth from there. So um, what else is coming downtown along with that National Security Collaboration Center that's, that's not here today? Right. Downtown is going to have the 80,000 square foot National Security Collaboration Center. The 138,000 square foot, I believe, or so, uh, School of Data Science. That School of Data Science, and, and that is, as you said, Dr. Amy has huge growth goals, but they're not even they're not even stretch goals. They're goals that are based on the data of how our analytics and cyber programs are growing, and computing and cloud programs are growing right now. His goal is to get to 45,000 students, I believe, within eight years, and that's predominantly through the expansion of the downtown campus through the School of Data Science. The School of Data Science will bring together uh, computer engineering, cybersecurity, information systems, management science and statistics, and analytics. All those folks will co-locate in the School of Data Science. And that is already um, funded, and um, architects have already, are already working on the buildings, and we're supposed to break ground this year, I believe, and be ready in 2022. What is projected is uh, also the College of Business moving, um, or, or at least part of it, having a new College of Business building downtown. And Dr. Amy is already talking about, I hope I don't get in trouble for this, um, already talking about the NSCC Phase 2 building. Um, and then, of course, parking and all of the essential things like coffee shops and food and housing and all the things you need to make humans happy. Yeah, but I mean, I, I'm super excited personally about having um, some stu official student housing uh, around the downtown campus. Right. Uh, the downtown campus today, for those not familiar, the, um, the School of Public Policy is already here. Correct. And, and uh, the Ar School of Architecture Correct. is downtown uh, already, but there's not a campus, official UTSA campus housing tied right. to either of those schools. So if you were majoring in those and you were gonna live in official student housing, you would shuttle your 
yourself back and forth between the two locations. Right. It's yeah. Basically, a commuter location. Yeah, and uh, but that's going to change into to one where there's going to be the different schools that are um, based out of the the downtown campus. So it's really going to you have to change. It's going to have to be the the downtown campus and the the hill country campus or whatever you're going right. to call them eventually because I, they're going to be one where um, you have different schools that are um, headquartered effectively out of of each of the different campuses. Right, and this will be different for San Antonio in general. San Antonio's colleges, many colleges, um, are for the most part very geographically contained in whatever their footprint is this is moving more toward a model like carnegie mellon and um arizona state where where and and frankly ut UT austin right where you have the the university buildings intermixed with the commercial buildings downtown and and a very pedestrian lifestyle and everybody lives and works and studies it's all happening together yeah i mean this is i hear you mentioning yeah the coffee shops and a bunch of these other things as, as soon as you've got 6,500 students living down here the the private sector will figure out how to open up places to right. feed them and then one another really cool thing you know one of our our crown jewels of san antonio right is the river walk yeah. everybody knows it everybody loves it it's really cool well what a lot of people don't know about yet is the san pedro creek expansion that is going to go right next to the school of data science and nscc and so the the foot traffic of just the tourism and 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 uh entertainment is is going to be right alongside and critically embedded with this new these new buildings yeah if you haven't heard about that san pedro creek project pick your your favorite search engine uh, on the internet uh do san pedro creek uh river walk project san antonio something like that and you'll get to learn all about it but it's uh it's a stretch and it's going to be in multiple phases the first phase is already open kind of north of houston street up uh to the uh uh, right by the the Cast Tech High School campus, which is a, an innovative new high school um, here in San Antonio. If you wanted to learn more about Cast, we've had um, Dr. Akala, the the principal, on. We've had some of the Cyber Patriot kids on and teachers uh, from that school. So check out uh, our archives at www.cybertalkradio.com or uh, on your favorite podcast. Um, but yeah, it goes there. That first phase is open, but eventually it'll tie all the way down into Blue Star and actually connect into the Riverwalk. So it ends up being kind of the the west side of downtown expansion of the river in a a, a linear park sort of uh, way. And I think it's going to be an amazing campus amenity, effectively that you get to plug into is, is UTSA. That's going to be there, um, funded by the city and the county and and the rest of us here. Right. It's a, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah, no, I'm I'm super excited about it. So as as you you talk about uh, when we headed into the break, the artificial intelligence, the the analytics. How do you you see this that degree tying in with the data science and and kind of where does all this head over the the next decade? Because uh, I mean, I have some thoughts and ideas. I've talked about this a, a few different conferences and events that. Um, it feels like artificial intelligence in the short term here favors the bad guys. Um, my, my hypothesis on this one is good good guys have to uh, pay for our computers. We, we have to put them we have to buy them first. We have to put them in somewhere where they have electricity and internet and and run them and and bad folks are allowed to um, hack into computers and then use somebody else's capital to procure them and someone else's electricity to run them and all the rest of that. Um, and, and so it feels like the, the folks on the, with, with high ethics on the, the good side of things, we need to be staying ahead on the research side because we're certainly going to be outnumbered on the resource side from a, a cost perspective. Right. But I don't think, so this, we might have to have a whole other show on this, yeah. but, um, I, I don't think AI, it, it, it needs to be expensive. Right. And, and the problem we have right now with cybersecurity is we have information overload. We can't keep up with the bad guys. We need 
AI to help us detect and respond. Even not just detection, but response. You've got to think of it like a like a human immune system. Our right now, our building, our built, our bodies are fighting off something, probably multiple somethings. And our bodies understand, the immune system understands this is a cold versus a new strain of Ebola, right? I get knocked on my butt if it's something big and I get just a little uncomfortable if it's fighting something minor. The notion that our computing systems can continue to completely rely on the human response time to, to heal is, is, is just wrong. Yeah, we've effectively treated our computing systems like bubble boy. Yes, you're completely correct. We need to change the paradigm and the, and the, real, the, real, the reality is that our networks and our computer systems are constantly contested environments. Make the assumption that they're already in. Now what? Yeah. Now what is that you need AI to help you diagnose and understand and react to the threats in a risk-mitigated way. And we have to have AI. Yeah, just like if you, have, if you have a healthy immune system in your body and you get the flu, your body fights it off and it's not fatal. Same thing can happen in your computer exactly. networks. So somebody gets in, but if you... It, contain it and deal with it in a good way then it's not that damaging right right and then you ask the question of where we're going to be at from 10 years from now and i mean if i have anything to say about it right now we have a two million plus shortage of cybersecurity professionals we have schools everywhere popping up that have new cybersecurity degree programs which is important to meet that workforce demand utsa being having been at it for as long as we've been at it we too need to evolve our program i would like to see you know more community colleges and more colleges becoming security technician oriented while utsa then evolves to be more ai cybersecurity oriented that is the next wave that is the next generation of cybersecurity, and that's what i hope utsa meets that demand yeah so the, so you see i mean the data science and cyber and the the masters of analytics uh, data analytics really kind of all collaborating together right. um, at a research. And I mean, I guess this is you'll likely in that National Security Collaboration Center have students in all of those different degree programs Correct. in the same building and facility. And I mean, for, for those that wonder, well, like what's the benefit of that collaborative research? If you, you go back, um, there's a, a great book out there on Bell Labs and um, and Bell Labs did this set up their hallways uh, inside the, the research center where they put physicists and chemists and biologists all intermixed and interspersed throughout there. They didn't have like one hallway that was all the physicists and one hallway that was all the chemists. And this led to them having hallway conversations and, right. and coming up with some pretty amazing breakthroughs. I won't spoil that whole story on Bell Labs, but um, if you you've, are using a computer right now or you're using a smartphone to listen to this on a podcasting service, those transistors in there wouldn't exist um, if it wasn't for those collaborative research right. uh, that happened there. And you need both natural collaboration and forced collaboration because sometimes you have to force through functions humans to do things that they don't want to do. Right now the architects are designing the National Security Collaboration Center and they had a, a presentation they gave to faculty about how they're going to design it. And faculty and students, they like their little fiefdoms and their little places yeah. and their little hallways with a door that nobody else can come in, right? No, 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 no. It is like a deck of cards that they've shuffled together and everybody's freaking out because this is not what people are used to or what they like, but it's it's gonna it's gonna be what you're just talking about. It's yeah. gonna force that collaborative interaction and you'll have more creative solutions that are developed as a result of that interdisciplinary collaboration. Yeah, so it's, it's uh, great stuff and I mean, it's... Um, uh, Super excited to see it grow and come online here um, in this area because I think a, a decade from now, 
uh, if I look out, this downtown campus is going to have 5,000 plus students living on it. You're going to have um, all sorts of amazing industry collaboration research and, and uh, just it's going to be a, a game changer for right. uh, what we have going on uh, in our, our growing tech district here right. uh, in the, the downtown San Antonio area right now. And they will accelerate their cross-pollination into things like Geekdom and Jungle Disk and um, Build Tech Foundry and all the other locations and Port San, Ant- uh, Port San Antonio. It just will really facilitate more cross-pollination, I think. Yeah. And for, for new listeners, if you're wondering what Port San Antonio or a bunch of these are, we've um, had uh, Jim on, uh, who is the CEO out there, uh, Will, who uh, handles a lot of the cyber industry collaboration for Port San Antonio. So check out our website or archives to learn more about what's going on at Port San Antonio. But that's um, a, a joint-based redevelopment uh, program that is uh, connecting the private sector with um, the Defense Department and with um, a number of different industry uh, things going on out there that Jim and, and Will can talk more about. Right. But if I could put a shameless plug in there, yes. too, this is not just about re- reutilizing and slightly revitalizing a base that got realigned. What Jim and others and Jill, Jim and Will and others are doing down there is exciting. Um, I, I, I think I was given a briefing the other day and was told some few things about where they're headed that I, I don't think I'm allowed to share, so I won't. But no. I'm just going to say, be on the lookout. The stuff they have planned in the next few years of what they're developing is is not just minor. Yeah. It is cool. It's the it kind of, again, unique intersection of interdisciplinary workforces that uh, they have there that is creating something special uh, for the San Antonio area and really that's going to be something special for the, the next uh, 50 years. I mean, I think the, the things that they're working on now are laying a foundation for um, lots of kind of breakthrough research and, and industry evolution over the next 50 years. Mm-hmm. You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and I'm joined by Dr. Nicole Beebe from the University of Texas, San Antonio. We've been talking about all sorts of things going on at the university, some of her background in uh, digital forensics and cyber forensics, whichever you... Do you have a preference between those two terms, digital forensics or cyber forensics? I don't have a preference, no. but I will say I went to a conference last year where that whole... That was the topic, is what we should call it, and you had a bunch of people... Around around the table for days talking about what it should be called. This feels like a decade ago where we're like, what is cloud computing? Right. Cloud computing is just somebody else's computer in a data center where you can't physically see it. Right. That's my definition of cloud computing. So it feels, it's interesting how passionate people get about vernacular and and words and sort of of things there. Right. Um, So uh, segueing from from that, um, so we've got the uh, competitions and um, about, cybersecurity. Um, at the high school level, Cyber Patriot, we've um, had a number of, of kids uh, on the program and, and coaches and uh, even the, the director of the program uh, talking about it. Are, are you involved with Cyber Patriot yourself? I am involved with college competition participation, but I am one of the biggest fans of Cyber Patriot there is. I think Cyber Patriot is a literal game changer in our country for K-12 through recruitment into cybersecurity. Yeah. And for team sports, parents, um, I, I mention this every time, your kids can play football, um, and there's a few hundred jobs in the NFL, and as you just heard Dr. Beebe say, there's two million openings in cybersecurity, so your kids can get the benefits of team sports and the opportunity for millions of jobs instead of just hundreds of jobs. 
so uh, at the what's the, the competition at the collegiate level? Uh, so what is that? So um, there's lots of competitions at the collegiate level. In some sense, it's an ex, you know it's an extension of Cyber Patriot at the college level. I mean, the collegiate cyber defense competition CCDC came before Cyber Patriot was actually modeled after CCDC to bring the CCDC experience to K through 12. And CCDC, which started at UTSA under Dr. Greg White and Dwayne Williams and others, um, really is the flagship of competitions. But it is predominantly a defensive competition, and it is a secure the enterprise against uh, red team hackers and secure the enterprise against, um, I shouldn't say secure against, but to respond to business uh, questions and issues. But there's a whole other set of things that can happen in cybersecurity, right? You need pen testers, penetration testers, the the white hat hackers, the folks who yeah. are just detecting vulnerabilities. You, you need, need good guys to pretend to be the red team. Exactly. Um, you need digital forensics competitions. You need uh, cyber analytics competitions. You need intelligence competitions. You need um, just a whole wide gamut. And so the, the collegiate cyber defense competition space is huge. There are government entities that sponsor competitions. There are universities that sponsor competitions, industry that sponsor competitions. There are organic our UTSA Cyber Computer Security Association sponsors two competitions. And so there's just a whole set of competitions that, that are available for co- college students and others to participate in. And to answer your question, I um, coach and mentor and facilitate and advise uh, several different teams for several competitions. UTSA students probably participate in two dozen different competitions every single year. And some of those are true team sports, like you mentioned, where we have t-shirt, you know, sh- team shirts, we practice, we recruit, we have you know, first string, second string, we travel, and then other competitions are virtual. Some of them are team, some of them are individual. There's just a whole gamut. Yeah, so anyone out there in the, the NCAA that decides which things are official sports and which things are not official sports, um, you should start having some conversations about these uh, cyber sports and esports. And it's not just kids playing computer games. Right. Um, like there's that too. And competitive cyber computer gaming uh, should be a sport as much as, as many of the other ones right. as well. But on these cyber defense and other cyber research type of competitions, this is, is something else where these have you have matches, you have rules. You have scores. You can determine winners and losers. And, uh, right. and from my perspective, um, those should be sports. And they should, as this evolves, we should figure out how some of these different things are scholarship eligible and all the rest of the the things that we've done for the the physical outdoor sports. Uh, we need to open up those opportunities um, to build audiences and invest in them. I mean, I. I uh, continually asking this the high school level if you look at the amount of dollars invested in in football um and look i know texas we love our football it's wonderful uh but you you've got like the school district in katie that just built a 70 million dollar football stadium there's not a single school district anywhere in the country that's investing 70 million dollars in their cyber patriot program i'm not even aware of one investing seven million dollars so um, I mean, for jobs and, and school and the future and all the rest of these things, uh, someone's got to step up and be the first district to really go all in on the cyber um, type of, of sports and competitions. I really appreciate you saying that. And if we could just talk a little bit about why yeah. and the benefits. Um, this is something that for these students, we can learn, we can teach them as much as they can possibly learn in a semester course, right? And I can give them labs and I can give them projects, but at the end of the day, you need some sort of events that bring all that together and internships is one way and competitions is another way these competitions solidify skills like nothing else they also teach a lot of the other 
soft skills like you mentioned, right? Teamwork and leadership and reliability and all these other things that are deadlines that are super and pressure important. and yeah, exactly. And how to work together and um, it's just it's so important. There are so many benefits to doing this. Well, thank you very much for joining us this week. It's been wonderful. My pleasure. Thank you, Brett.